Matthew 12, verses 22 to 50. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. So how can this kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder the house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognised by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the, north, ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, mm, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. 
This is how it will be with this wicked generation. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, point, uh, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are outside standing there, wanting to speak to you. And he replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. David, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is so precious to us. I want to thank you, Father, for those people who laboured tirelessly and even sacrificed their lives so we could have your word in our own language. Thank you, Father, that we have this freedom to gather Sunday by Sunday and to open your word and to sit under it. Uh, forgive us, Father, for times we take that for granted. And we ask that your spirit would work powerfully in this moment. That he might take this word and implant it deeply into our hearts and transform us and transform your church here by your precious word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a quote on the screen by a man called Nicky Gumbel who wrote the Alpha Course. He said, this church is not an organization you join. It's a family where you belong. It's a family where you belong. It's a home where you are loved and a hospital where you find healing. That is God's church. It's a, it's a family that you belong to. So, so you're my brothers. You're my sisters in Christ. We are family. Uh, Tim Keller said the same thing. He says, you, you can't live the Christian life without a band of Christian friends, without a family in which you find a place. That is church, a family where you belong, a family where you find a place. I think it was Sister Sledge who sang, We Are Family. But I think Jesus said it first. Matthew 12, verse 49, he says, pointing to his disciples, to his followers, to the, the men and women who had given up everything just to, to follow Jesus. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, is my sister, is my mother. We're family, he's saying. And I hope you understand that. So, so when Jesus says to you, come to me if you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, that, that's a good individual promise. You come to Jesus. But you can't come to Jesus without joining his family. Uh, when, when you're born again, you now have two families. You've got your biological family and you've got your spiritual family. You've got your blood family and your blood of Jesus family. And that word family is such a beautiful word. Your family should be the source of love and acceptance. Your family should be a safe place. Your family should be a place where you are encouraged, a place where you do life together, a place where you overcome trials together and you share what you have together. Now, I am very conscious of for, for some people here tonight, perhaps like me, that the word family is a, is a bit of a trigger for you. Because for you, your biological family was not pleasant. It was painful. It was harmful. Trust me, I know that feeling, but in some ways that, 
That is why our spiritual family, our church family, it should be so beautiful for us. I became a Christian in, in 1990. I joined my first church in 1991. A year later, I thought I could do the Christian life without family, but I was wrong. And I walked into a church, and I experienced family like I never, ever had before. My older spiritual brother, David, who just discipled me and gave me time, and he, he just lavished love on me. And my older spiritual brother, Joe, who really helped me to, to pray and to conquer sin in my life. And my older spiritual father, his name was Stuart, who really became a spiritual dad to me. And my spiritual mum, Penny, who showed me hospitality and gave me this heart for mission. And this was my family. And I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. When I was sick, they were there. When I was sad, they were there. I never felt alone. And so, so when I first heard that quote from Spurgeon, he says that the church is the dearest place on earth. I thought, of course it is. I've got this new family. And so when church is functioning well, this should be an incredible family that loves each other. And the gospel is made attractive because... I think most of our world are looking for and longing for this community and these connections where they can experience deep, intimate relationships. That's what we're offering. So we're supposed to be family. And I, and I know that we fail. I know sometimes church can be more cold than caring and more lonely than loving. But let's not idolize the church family. We are, we are going to disappoint each other and hurt each other and fail and fight, but we're still family. Let's read verses, verses 46 onwards. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, and his mother and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. I love that verse. It reminds me that Jesus had a biological family. His stepdad his, was called Joseph. Uh, he, he's not mentioned here. Joseph isn't mentioned in this, these verses because it's presumed that he's passed away by this time. He's dead by now. And if that is true, then Jesus knew the pain of losing an earthly father, and I find that very comforting. His mother is there. She's called Mary, a remarkable woman, Mary. She birthed him. She cared for him. She encouraged him. She Followed him. Even at, even at the end of the cross, she's there watching her son die. As Jesus dies, he entrusts his mother Mary to his beloved disciple John. Uh, but notice that there are brothers there as well, and there's no such thing as a perpetual Virgin Mary. She had more kids. Just read chapter 13, verse 55, and it talks about his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters. So, so Jesus had a half-brother called James. He wrote the letter of James. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Had a half-brother called Judas. They called him Jude. He wrote the letter of Jude. He had Joseph. He had Simon. He had at least two sisters. So Jesus had a biological family. And Jesus never denounced biological families. He... It's not anti-family. So, so Christianity is not this cult that extracts you from your biological family like some cults do today. We're still called to love our family, honor our parents, 
And can I say, church, if family is a, del- is a delight for you, if you've got incredible mum-dad relationships and incredible sibling relationships, please praise God for that. Please praise God. But don't, don't idolize your biological family. They are good, but they're not all you've got. Because Jesus says something tonight which is quite shocking. He seems to be saying that his relationships with his disciples, with his spiritual family, is as important, if not more important, than his biological family. Let's keep reading verse 47. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside, wanted to speak with you. Now you've got to remember in verse 47 that the culture that is written here is an honor-shame culture. And in honor-shame cultures, the last thing you want to do is to bring shame on your family. So we expect Jesus to drop everything because his mother's there, his brothers are there, but he doesn't do that. It's like if I was preaching tonight and someone said, Paul, your, your mum's flown out from the UK and your brother's outside. You'd expect me to go, oh, great, I'll go and see them. We, we, we don't know what they want to speak to him about. Although in Mark's gospel, in the same account, we, we get a, a bit of an insight because they basically come to tell Jesus that, that he is, quote, out of his mind. That's from Mark's gospel. Because Jesus is saying all these kind of weird things and challenging religious establishments and he's bringing dishonor on his family. So they come to say, please be quiet. Now, if they thought that was crazy, wait till they what. Wait to the crazy statement he makes next. Verse 48, he replied to his, about his mother and brothers. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? That, that's kind of awkward when they're outside. Except Jesus wants to teach us tonight this wonderful truth, this beautiful truth that could change your life. Pointing to his disciples, to his followers, he said, here, Here in front of me are my new family, my mother, my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. It is shocking, but it's beautiful. He he still cares for his biological family. He still loves his biological family. He's not putting his biological family down, but he's elevating. He's elevating your spiritual family. He's redefining family. He says, it's not just about your, 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 your biological blood is about the blood of Jesus. So I want to say, church, whatever your biological family is like, if it's great, that's wonderful. If it's not so great, that's okay because you've got a new family called the church. So who's in the family? Verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. That's a bizarre statement. What is the will of my Father in heaven? Well, John 6, verse 40 tells you, John 6, verse 40, my Father's will, here it is, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. That's the will of the Father, that we look to the Son, that we believe in Jesus and have eternal life. So if I believe in Jesus and you believe in Jesus, then we're family. Let me make three brief remarks about family. Number one, we're marked by forgiveness. We're marked by forgiveness. See that in verse 31? He said, I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Of course it can, because Jesus shed his blood for you. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. 
This, this is the heart of our Savior. Jesus, it's a heart of forgiveness. He, he longs to forgive. He longs to, to wash us and cleanse us from our sins. He, he, he doesn't want to count our sins against us. That's why he came into the world, to, to offer forgiveness. Now, I know I'm forgiven because I have cast my sins onto the shoulders of Jesus. And if you've cast your sins onto the shoulders, then you're forgiven as well. I love verse 31. He says, every kind of sin can be forgiven. The wrong things you've done, your lying, your selfishness, your lust, your anger, your greed, that can be forgiven. The good thing you failed to do, the the kind that you haven't done, the, the love that you haven't shown, that can be forgiven. There is nothing you've done that can't be forgiven by Jesus. According to verse 32, you could even speak a word against him. You ever done that? You ever said, Jesus, I don't like you at the moment, or Jesus, why are you doing this right now? Hey, you can say that. It's okay. You can be forgiven of that if you repent. So I love the Apostle Paul so much. He, he was a murderer, he was a blasphemer, but he was a forgiven sinner. There's only one thing that can't be and won't be forgiven. It's called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And, and people stress about this. People say to me, Paul, what if I've done this? And I've had, I've had people come to me and say, Paul, I think I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And I say, no, you haven't. And they're like, well, how do you know I haven't? And I say, well, the fact that you're worried about it means you haven't done it. Because blasphemy about the Holy Spirit, what, what, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? His role is to point you to Jesus. His role is to convict you of your sin. His role is to convict you that Jesus is the righteous one and there is a coming judgment. That, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is just a way of saying that you blatantly and permanently and decisively reject Jesus Christ as, a, as, a, as your Lord and Messiah. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it means that you actually say that Jesus is not God and he didn't die for me and I don't really believe in him. That's the only sin that can't be forgiven. I, I don't care what you've done. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you from that sin. Now, if I'm forgiven and you're forgiven, it means that we are family. But if Jesus has forgiven you, who is somebody else in church to withhold forgiveness from you? If you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus and Please don't hold, withhold forgiveness from somebody else. There's a young woman who, who came to Christ out of a, a life of prostitution. And she ended up getting engaged to the pastor's son. That's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? And the church was outraged. How, how, how could a pastor's son marry a former prostitute? And here's what the pastor's son said. It's not my fiancé's past that's on trial tonight. What you're questioning is the ability of the blood of Jesus to forgive sin. Today you're putting the blood of Jesus Christ on trial. I don't know, perhaps there's a brother or sister here who has wronged you. In this church family, they're here at 7 p.m. If you are withholding forgiveness from them, please sort that out. That is going to be damaging to family relationships. So we're forgiven. That's part of what makes us family. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us family. 
So Jesus opens our eyes in this passage to this bizarre spiritual world because the world that you can see, touch and feel is not all that there is. There's a spiritual world where there's angels and demons and good and evil. There's a spiritual world where, where Satan exists. Satan is real. Satan is called the tempter, the liar, the deceiver, the prince of this air. And he knows the Bible so well, he quotes scripture. Remember the temptation of Jesus? D.O. Moody says, I believe in the devil for two reasons. Because the Bible says he's real. And because I've experienced his lies and deception. And I can identify with that. But when you are part of God's new spiritual family, you know Satan is real, but you have nothing to fear because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the second mark, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world, yes? Greater is the Holy Spirit who's in you, living in you. He is stronger, he is wiser, he is kinder, he is more powerful than any satanic evil force you have nothing to fear now six times in the gospels jesus casts out demons it's here again in verse 22 they bring this demon possessed man to jesus and jesus heals him and the people are astonished in verse 23 and they say could this man jesus be the son of david could he be the messiah but the religious people verse 24 the pharisees they mutter it's only by beelzebul the prince of demons that he drives out demons they're basically accusing jesus of being demonic himself and jesus argues that is crazy if satan is driving out satan then satan is divided verse 26 no verse 28 if if, if it's by the spirit of god that i drive out demons then the kingdom of god has come upon you this is the spirit of god the powerful holy spirit who can drive out even the most demonic of forces that's why jesus came Verse 29, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? The strong man is Satan, but Jesus is stronger. Jesus, verse 29, has tied up the strong man. He has bound the strong man. He has defeated Satan at the cross. Do you know your Bibles? Colossians chapter 3. As Jesus hung to die, he was disarming the power of Satan. He was making a public spectacle of Satan. He was saying, you have no power. We have victory in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when the devil tempts you, when the devil whispers in your ear, you know, you're unlovable. You're useless. When the, the devil whispers lies about Jesus, say, he's not really the son of God, you know. You say, get behind me, Satan, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And if you've got the Spirit and I've got the Spirit, that means we're family. This is quite extraordinary. That The moment that you believed in Jesus, the same Spirit that not just raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that, that drove out the demons has come to live in you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I just said that the Christians can't be demon-possessed. You can't have the Holy Spirit and a demon in you, but you can be oppressed. You can be tempted. You can be hassled. It happens all the time. And that's why we need church family, because we're in a spiritual battle. I need you to pray for me, to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, to say no to temptation. I need you to pray for me against all the spiritual attacks and warfare, and I pray for you the same thing, because we're family. There's a, there's a war going on. 
Satan longs to see this church destroyed. Satan longs to see the name of Jesus Christ dishonored. We're in a spiritual battle and we need each other. We need to pray for the fruit of the Spirit in each other's lives. Verse 33, make a a tree good and its fruit will be good and make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. Our our trees are good trees because we've got the Holy Spirit in us. But please make sure you're bearing fruit. We should see the fruit of the Spirit in each other's lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's what our church family needs to see in each other. Can I invite you to to point out to me as your brother in Christ when I'm not being gentle, when I'm not being patient? And will you invite other people to speak into your life when you are not showing love, joy, or peace? That's what families do. They they point out when the fruit that you are bearing is, is not actually the good fruit that you should be bearing. We need each other. Uh, Jesus is pretty blunt in verse 34. He turns to religious people, to people who do not have the Spirit of God in them, and says, you brood of vipers. Literally, you, you sons of slimy snakes. How can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him i find it fascinating that jesus goes straight for the tongue he goes straight for our words the mouth speaks what the heart is full of so i can't see your heart but i can hear your words i don't know what you're feeling but i can hear what you're saying And if out of your mouth comes words which are bitter, grumbling, envious, slandering, lying, half-truths, gossip, hateful remarks, that's a warning sign, isn't it? But if out of your mouth comes words which are full of encouragement and grace and kindness and gentleness, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Can we have an honesty moment as a church? Our words often get us into trouble, don't they? It's like a biological family. Something comes out of your mouth and you think, oh gosh, I wish I hadn't said that. There are churches, there are church members here who have been so deeply hurt by words spoken by a so-called Christian brother or sister. Not just what is said, but the way it's said the venom behind the words. Can I urge us to stop before we speak and ask, is this honoring to God? Is is this going to build up my brother or sister? Churches have been destroyed by evil, harsh words, and, and church families have been torn apart by careless words. So we're family because of forgiveness. We're family because of the Holy Spirit in us. And I've made up the third point. I've made up a word. It's called family-fied. We are family-fied. Because <laughs> you're not just justified and made right with God, and you're not just sanctified. We are family-fied. Jim Packer says that God is my father, 
My saviour is my brother and every Christian is my brother or sister too. That's what it means to be family. We've got a, a father in heaven who's adopted us. We've got a brother called Jesus and we've got each other called brothers and sisters. We're family for height. Adoption is the most beautiful concept, isn't it? When you're, you treat someone else's child as your own. When I got married 13 years ago now, Sam was five at the time and I adopted him as my own. I've raised him as my own. I treat him as my own. He's my son. I love him. We're about to do long-term foster care with a view to adoption so that other precious kids can be part of our family. Now, God has adopted you. That's what he says. God is your father. Verse 50 is fascinating. He could have said, verse 50, whoever does the will of God in heaven. But he chooses this word, my father, because what Jesus is saying here is that Jesus' father is your father, and Jesus' father is, is my father. We can pray our father in heaven. No matter what your earthly parents are like, there's a perfect father in heaven who loves you, who cares for you, who cherishes you, who provides for you, who wants to pour out his blessings upon you. He is your father. I don't know, maybe like me, you had earthly fathers who were abusive and absent and antagonistic and performance-based and passive. But your heavenly father, my heavenly father, he, he, he saw you long before you saw him. He, he loved you before the creation of the world. He, he sought you. He bought you. He, he never gives up on you. He's not disinterested. He's not distracted. He accepts you completely. He gives you access to him, a seat at his table, and he's got a hug that will never, ever, ever stop hugging you. That is your father in heaven. And you've got a new brother, a big brother, his name is Jesus. I know that sounds odd. We, 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 we get that Jesus is our Redeemer or our Savior or our Lord or even a friend, but we don't often call Jesus our brother, do we? But that's what Jesus is saying in verse 50. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister. Jesus is your big brother. What Hebrews 2.11 tells you, Hebrews 2.11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. I love that. that Jesus has got the biggest family in the world. He's the best big brother. I, I don't know. Did you ever have a big brother who, when you were in the playground and you're being a bit bullied, your big brother was there to watch over you? That's Jesus. Or, or the big brother when you're making a stupid decision in life who has the kindness to speak into your world and say, please don't do that. That's, that's Jesus. Or the big brother who cares and stands up for you, who intercedes for you, who listens, who, who carries you. Yeah, what a friend, what a big brother we have in Jesus. So this is your family. God is your father. Jesus is your brother. But listen carefully, you do not get to call God your father and Jesus your brother and not get to call other people your Christian brothers and sisters. It just doesn't work like that. I'm sorry. You cannot say, oh, I love Jesus and I love God, but I don't like his church. Because if you really love God and he's your father and Jesus is your brother, then I'm sorry, you are part of a family. Brothers and sisters. Ninety times Paul's letters begins, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1, don't rebuke an older man harshly. Exhort him as if he was your father. 
treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. There's something profoundly beautiful about the idea of, of having older men as fathers and older women as mothers and, and younger men and women as brothers and sisters. It's just so safe and relational and familial. So what is this going to mean to be brothers and sisters in Christ? It's going to mean that we are committed to each other. Families need to be committed to each other, to look out for each other, to care for each other, to make time for each other. You know, you can't claim to have a functional biological family if you see each other once a year. That is dysfunctional. I remember when I first read Acts and I was quite taken by this picture of the early church where, you know, the, the, the brethren, the brothers and sisters, they, they met together daily and they ate together and they shared their possessions with each other. And when people thought about the earliest Christians, they, they would say, oh, oh those people, they, they hang out all the time with each other. And I know that time is a precious commodity, but... Hanging out with each other is so important. That intentional time with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you make time for each other and you hang out with each other and you love each other. Hey, Richard. Day by day, three things we pray. Yep. See thee more clearly, follow thee more nearly, love, love thee more dearly. Day by day, three things we pray. That's great, Richard. Thank you. Three things we pray day by day that we, we, we follow him and we love him and then we love each other. Let me have a, a pastoral word. We cannot be deep in relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ if we make no time for each other. If we don't pick up the phone to see how they're going, it's... It's not that selfish, you know, I, I will fit you into my calendar if it suits me. You know, when your biological brother or sister does that to you, it's hurtful, isn't it? I love this quote, relational intimacy in a relationship is always proportional to the level of commitment to that relationship. So if you want relational commitment, intimacy, relational intimacy out of a Christian brother or Christian sister, you need to put in the commitment to that friendship. It's about being committed. It's, it's about being realistic. Now, if you expect these church relationships to be perfect, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to get hurt and frustrated and perhaps disillusioned. Uh, Spurgeon said this, if I'd found the perfect church, it would not be perfect when I had become a member of it. <laughs> And all he's saying is that people are flawed and people are forgetful and so we're not perfect. People will forget to call you or text you when they said they will. People will say something insensitive to you. People might do something in, intentionally to hurt you. But we're called to show them grace and kindness. You ever been on a, a family holiday? You know, when your mum and dad had this great idea to book a big home and get all the family together for a week's holiday with the adult siblings and it's sort of sold as a perfect idyllic family holiday. But the problem is when you put lots of adults in close proximity, very quickly you start to annoy each other 
and spot those idiosyncrasies and spot their flaws. That's church, isn't it? But what makes church different is that we resolve conflict. That we are quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to apologize and not holding on to hurts. And that we love each other. Love is the key. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9 about brotherly love, about brother-sister love. We don't need to write to you because God has taught you to love each other. In fact, you do love all of God's family, but we urge you, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to, to love them more and more and more. And I'm urging you tonight to, to love your family more and more and more, your church family. When people here at 7 p.m. fail you, love them. When they hurt you, love them. When they annoy you, love them. When they say something unkind about you or to you, gently challenge them, but love them. When they're wandering, love them back. When they're sinning, love them enough to say the hard thing. It's just love them, love them, love them, because we're family. They say that blood is thicker than water. That is true, but actually the blood of Jesus Christ is thicker still. And this is just radical stuff because Jesus says, here is my mother, here's my brother, this is my new family. God saves you not just as an individual but into a family. So we are family. I've got my brothers and my sisters all with me here tonight. And church is not a place that we go to. It's a family that you belong. God is your father. Jesus is your brother. And if you look around, look around, just do that right now. Look around. This is your family. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's work really hard, really hard at being that beautiful family. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we adore you as our Father in heaven. We thank you that you are so good and kind and loving and gracious, that you care in ways that we just can't imagine. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the best big brother, the perfect big brother, who is there, who is wise, who is learned and kind and gracious to us. And we thank you for our brothers and sisters at 7 p.m., for each individual that you place into our lives. And help us, Lord, to, to make time for each other, to, to love each other, to forgive each other. And I do want to pray tonight if there is unresolved hurt and lack of forgiveness. I pray, Spirit of God, tonight will be the night where we experience the power of the Holy Spirit to bring forgiveness and reconciliation to our church family. We ask that for Jesus' sake.